0: Welcome to the Tuesday Show. Thanks for tuning in. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas. And this is The Word to Stand On for Life, a program dedicated to taking your phone calls and answering your questions, Bible questions, questions about stuff going on in your life. Today we've had a bunch of questions sent in about stuff that's going on in the news, whatever's on your heart. Uh, All you need to do is to call us, 210-340-9585. If you're outside the local San Antonio area, you can call toll-free at 877-630-KSLR. That's 630-5757. You can email questions to us by emailing questions at calvarysa.com. Or you can use our free Calvary Chapel of San Antonio mobile app. If you are driving in your car, the safest way to call is to use the free KSLR mobile app. Just hit the Call Now banner at the top of the screen, and you'll be connected directly to our studio producer. Don't have anything to talk about, so let's talk about some important stuff. Today is day three of of, uh, Jesus Passion Week. Uh, Tuesday morning, uh, Jesus returned to Jerusalem um you remember yesterday we talked about the withered fig tree. They passed that fig tree again in the way. And, and um, Jesus uh, was, the disciples were amazed how quickly it had completely withered up. Uh, and they were going to the temple. Of course, the religious leaders were um, plotting his murder. They were angry with Jesus for establishing um, himself as a spiritual authority, although that's not really what he was doing. Uh, And they um, ambushed him. Uh, He uh, evaded their traps. And this is when he pronounced judgment on them. Now, this is really heavy. He called them blind guides. He called them whitewashed tombs. Beautiful on the outside, but filled on the inside with dead people's bones and all sorts of impurity. And I would have the stench of that kind of hypocrisy. called them snakes, a brood of vipers. Uh, And then he asked them the question, how will you escape the judgment of hell? And, of course, they wouldn't escape the judgment of hell. But that was Jesus' Tuesday. Later in the afternoon, he left the city and went with his disciples to the Mount of Olives. Um, That's where he gave the Olivet Discourse. Jesus, in his last days, last hours, spoke about the very last days. He was warning them. Uh, the Olivet Discourse, uh, Matthew 24 and 25, Mark chapter 13 and Luke chapter 21, um, was, it was an elaborate prophecy about the destruction of Jerusalem and the end of the age. And of course, the end of the age comes all the way down to the time that we live. The end times culminating with his second coming and then, of course, the final judgment. Um, this was also the day Tuesday. And remember, Jesus knew this. This was the day that Judas Iscariot Um, made his deal with the Sanhedrin um, to betray Jesus. We know that from Matthew chapter 26. Uh, And so that was Jesus' day, Um, uh, day three of his Passion Week. I'm always amazed that Jesus did this for you and he did it for me. And no matter how difficult things went, and it's going to get more difficult as the coming days um, pass on, um, but he did it because he loved you. And because he loved me. So tomorrow we'll talk about day four, Wednesday of Passion Week. I'm doing this because I want you to remember um, just how much he loves you. Just how much he loves you. I also have one other uh, question that I started yesterday, and I only had about three minutes to try to get it. And I like to deal with these questions because questions that are are asked with this kind of candor and honesty deserve uh, an answer. And I want to make sure that I didn't short uh, shrift him uh, at all. But it was an anonymous question, obviously, from somebody who comes to the church here. And he says he had a question about how we do Good Friday service. Um, He says, one reason I love our church is because we do not artificially make things emotional. But a Good Friday service, it seems as though um, it is intended to make things emotional. Uh, One year a man was going around shushing people, and I was told to keep it somber. I was struck by this because at Calvary we're always loving on one another. Uh, Ever since I was told to keep it down and keep it somber, and since then, Good Friday service always bothered me slightly, I know a lot of the issue is with me, and that there's nothing wrong with the service. Here's my question. Why do we do the Good Friday service the way we do? Uh, I thought we are to rejoice because of the cross. Yes, we remember it, but why are we in mourning if our Jesus is alive? I'm confused and would like clarification. I may be looking at it wrong, but I've had this question for years, and uh, at one time... Uh, And it was time to ask my goal is not to be disrespectful and your letter is not disrespectful at all So don't get the impression that that uh, we think it is at all people are free to disagree with us and express their opinions At any time let me explain to the audience our Good Friday service when people arrive here and we're doing two of them this uh, Friday uh, one at five o'clock and one at seven o'clock and uh, on good friday um, um, people we, we people get here early because we 're always packed, and um, when they walk in they 'll be given a piece of paper and the idea of that is they can write down some some things that they 're dealing with, maybe sins that they 're struggling with or promises that they 've broken or uh, god 's asked them to do something and they haven 't been obedient and maybe it 's time simply so kate lord i 'm going to be obedient now. Uh, and and we, we anonymously, no names or anything, but they write it down on a piece of paper. We fold that piece of paper and then they go nail it to a cross. We have a big wooden cross that somebody made for us one year. And we've been doing this for a lot of years. And so when people are coming in, um, they're, 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 the worship music is going. But at the same time, um, that constant sound of the nailing of the cross um, is going on in the background. And it is a very um, um, emotional time. I I just don't think we can look at the cross and not be emotional. I think sometimes, uh, Anonymous, we need to be serious about things like this. And I think the cross is one of those places. Now, obviously, we rejoice because the tomb was empty. We know that, and we rejoice on Sunday. And, And because of Good Friday followed, of course, by Sunday, Um, um, it's time to understand the seriousness of the the hour, the sacrifice that gave us the freedom to rejoice on Sunday morning. And then we can realize the hope that we all have given to us uh, by that empty tomb. And, of course, Jesus said, um, you will mourn, but but in a short while, in a little while, you will rejoice. And that's the way we approach this. So I, I just think it's not artificially trying to make the service emotional. I just think there are times when we need to seriously contemplate what was done for us, the cost, the price that was paid, and I just think it's really important, anonymous, that there's there's some things that we approach. It's almost like um, when Moses approached the burning bush and God said, "Remove thy shoes." the ground you're standing on is holy ground. And I think when we approach the cross, it's, it's the holiest of ground. It is an observation of the ultimate sacrifice. Now, I don't want people shushing people, but at the same time, uh, we, we want the, the service to be respectful. Um, um, somber, I think, is an appropriate word. We want the service to affect people. And and there's nothing artificial about it Uh, at Calvary Chapel. As you point out, we never dim the lights and make things super, super quiet. Uh, This is the one exception that we do that. And uh, the reason we do it is because there are some times where we need to be serious and look back soberly upon exactly what was done to save you and me from our sins. Thank you, Anonymous. I appreciate it. And please never worry about being disrespectful by asking a question. Let's go to James on line one from Belmont. James, thank you for holding on, um, being patient. You're on the air.
2: Oh, thank you. Uh, yeah, no problem. I was enjoying the, uh, uh, the explanation conversation. Um, I had a, a question because uh, uh, whenever um, the Messiah whenever, uh, Jesus, uh, the Christ came, uh, for, for the first advent, he was, uh, fulfilling the promises, um, throughout the old Testament. Um, and they were teaching, um, that the kingdom of heaven is here or near, and they were anticipating the kingdom of heaven. Um, they, They failed to recognize that, and uh, I guess even like around Acts 7 or 8, uh, the Gentiles um, uh, started becoming uh, uh, more involved. You know, Saul becomes Paul and all that, the uh, apostle for the Gentiles. Um, And he even in Romans talks about how Israel is – there's a period of time that will be the the time of the Gentiles, and Israel – uh, will be blinded uh, to the truth. Of course, that doesn't mean that there aren't any Jews that are being converted, but but yet uh, just in general. And then when you look at the end of times, uh, the Jews are going to be going through as as a nation, as a covenant people, they're going to be going through a very harsh time. Uh, but many of them are going to come to believe and understand uh, and and then I'm assuming, then at that point, it, it looks like um, at the second coming of Christ will also be the beginning of that kingdom. Um, my understanding is that's for a thousand years, which it is kind of neither here nor there with me. It just it's going to be for a long period of time. Um, when I look at the church, the body of Christ, it always seems to me that the body of Christ is in reference to in heaven, uh, in the, in the um, presence of the Lord. Um, and so I, I guess I get kind of confused. Um, is the body of Christ participating in the uh, kingdom? the new covenant with israel at the end of the second advent um or is there a separation like you know in the beginning there was heaven and earth um in revelations they also refer to the new heaven and the new earth um my understanding is um whenever i was looking i guess in exodus that the hebrews were going to be uh, of a priesthood um really to help bring the gentiles in and give them you know an understanding is there going to be a relationship where the church and the covenant people of israel uh, come together and will that be in the kingdom or is there a period of time just for the covenant people of israel yeah. in the kingdom and then later in heaven i all of that part just yeah. kind of confuses me. And every time I try to chase it down, it just becomes a <laughs> lot more difficult for me to, to
0: yeah. let me Let me try to make it easy for you, James. Uh, it, it, it really is very compartmentalized and, and easy to follow. A couple of things, comments I want to make relative to things that you said. When you said uh, many of the Jews will, will come to faith during the Great Tribulation, um, we're told in Zechariah that one-third of the Jews... Will come to faith in Jesus Christ. That means two thirds, an overwhelming majority. Two thirds are going to reject Him, even when He appears. Now, remember, He's He's going to take us to heaven before the the Great Tribulation begins. He's going to take you and me, the body of Christ. He's going to take us to heaven. We're going to be uh, married to Jesus. It's the, the wedding supper, the wedding banquet of the of the Lamb, and we're gonna we're gonna be with Jesus for what is measured. On earth as a period of seven years and then in Revelation chapter 19 we're going to come back with Jesus that's when he comes back and he establishes everything right it's at the end of the Great Tribulation uh, he appears uh, in the eastern sky he returns uh, we're with him and he establishes his kingdom now his kingdom on earth is established to fulfill All of the promises that were made to to specifically David, but we can go back further, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, uh, Moses, uh, all of those promises that were made, um, God, of course, has to fulfill. So literally, uh, Jesus will come back to earth, and it's at that time he's dealing with the nation of Israel. Remember, we're coming back with him and he established his kingdom, we're going to rule and reign with him, but we will be in glorified, physical, resurrected bodies. So uh, we we will have been to heaven, and now we're coming back with him, and we're going to rule and reign with him. Now, we don't know, James, exactly what that means. We don't know what it entails. What we do know is that in our glorified, physical, resurrected bodies, we're going to rule and reign with Jesus you know just uh, on a side note James I always assumed you know that I'll, I'll, I'll be in San Antonio you know that's that's where my duty station will be but I'll be in a glorified resurrected body and I'll be able to go to Jerusalem and be with Jesus I'll be able to 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 just like Jesus I can be in one place and then in an instant be in the next place but uh, that's when the kingdom of God on earth Jesus told us to pray father thy will uh, be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's going to happen, James, only when Jesus rules and reigns. Now, at the end of the thousand years, uh, the, the people that survived the Great Tribulation, and there will be billions, literally for a thousand years, multiplied billions of people um, uh, in their physical bodies, just like the body that you and I have, and they will serve Jesus, uh, be forced to serve Jesus for a thousand years. And at the end of the thousand years, uh, then uh, all, all the rejectors, those who rebelled against God, will be um, cast into the lake of fire where they will spend forever and ever. It's after that, James, that a new heaven and a new earth is created. Uh, the new earth. Obviously, this earth, as as beautiful as it will be in a, in a restored earth, uh, it's still corrupted. And in heaven, there can be nothing corrupt. And, and our reward is to see it'll be it'll be like the Garden of Eden again, um, and then uh, a new heaven because there's going to be a place in it. And you said, well, Jews and Gentiles come together. Well, it's in the kingdom of God. Where, where all of that is going to happen. Jews will finally understand that God's plan always included Gentiles, and uh, God will judge people uh, at the end of the thousand years based on whether or not they make a free will decision of their own to serve Jesus. But all of this commences when Jesus comes back in Revelation chapter 19 and establishes justice on the earth. So James, I hope that's clear, and I hope it it helps you because uh, it really isn't complicated at all. Uh, we separate Israel and the promises to Israel and the church and the promises of the church here, uh, because God is now dealing. You you mentioned the times of the Gentiles. That's the time that we live in now. God is not dealing with national Israel. He's not dealing with nations. He's dealing with individual people, and and evidently that's going to continue for well. Uh, because there are still people uh, who who haven't been saved, who God knows will be saved. Now, we think we're coming to the end of that time, but that's that's my speculation. Uh, and so Jesus is going to uh, soon, we think, call his church home so that he can finish all things according to the promises that were made. Good question, James. I appreciate it very, very much. 340-9585, here's a question from Joel. He says, "Hi, Pastor. Hope you are doing well. Uh, I have a question that I haven't researched yet, but caught my attention by a comment from a rabbi about casting lots. Thuman, Thumim. That's hard for me to say. And Urim. Is this something Jewish rabbis still use? What about lots for Christians? Uh, the Uman and the thumen, or the Urim and the Thumen, See, I can't say it. Um, th- there were two stones: a white stone and a black stone." And when the casting of the lots, they would pour out the bag and the stone that came out um, would be sort of like a yes or no. I, I don't know if you remember playing with the magic eight balls when you were a kid and you would answer the question, turn over, and then the eight ball would give you the answer. Well, that's kind of what the Thummim and the Urim were. Um, the difference was it was a God-ordained method of finding the will of God. And and the priests would do it, and because they would do it, God was directing the casting of the lot. So it worked. Uh, the last time that we see the uh, the lot cast, um, uh, Joel was in the book of Acts, uh, first chapter, when they needed to replace Judas, who who betrayed Jesus, and of course we know Matthias was chosen by the casting of the lot. And then once the Holy Spirit falls on the church in the next chapter, um, there were there was no more casting of lots at all. So no more casting of lots, certainly not for Christians. We have the Spirit of God living in us and we have the Word of God. So we don't really need to worry about, um, you know, casting lots or taking a chance. Now, um, I don't think this is something that Jewish rabbis still use. Now, remember, uh, Hebrews 1 begins with this statement. In the past, God spoke to our forefathers through the prophets at many times and in various or diverse ways. In other words, there were all kinds of different ways for the um, um, lots to be to, to, to speak. Um, but in these last days, and we're in the last days, whether you're a Jew or a Gentile, you're still in the last days. But in these last days, Hebrews 1 says, he has spoken to us, and literally in the Greek, it's in son. In other words, everything he has to say, he said in the person of Jesus Christ. Jesus is his final word. So casting the lots is not being done any longer. By Jews, now, there may be some mystical Jews who are still out there doing it, but generally speaking, that's just not something that is done and I want to repeat this jewel uh Christians should never ever be concerned about something like casting lots. we've got the spirit of God, remember we're to walk by faith and not by sight, and that means sometimes we're going to walk into places where we really aren't sure, God says it's in those times when we can really demonstrate that we trust Him. Thank you very much for the question, Joel. Here is a question anonymous from our email inbox. James 1.12 says, Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life which God has promised to those who love him. What kind of trials is he talking about, um, uh, Anonymous James is talking about all kinds of trials. The Apostle Paul talks about um, the test that we have. It is required, First Corinthians 4.2, that every man given a trust by God must prove faithful. And the way we prove faithful often is in those trials. You know, we think about Jesus in the very first trial, and this was led by the Holy Spirit. There's no question about that. Uh, He was baptized by the Apostle John. The Spirit of God descended on him in the form of a dove. Not a dove, but in the form of a dove. And then he was led out into the wilderness by the Holy Spirit. You see, even Jesus had to withstand those trials. And he was being tested over and over and over and to a degree infinitely greater than any of the tests and trials that we have. So here's what he means. When you are tested, when you're under trial, when the enemy's attacking or when circumstances seem to be against you, Jesus says through his half-brother James, stay the course. Trust me. Don't doubt. Don't be afraid. What he said to Joshua, don't turn to the right or to the left, but stay steadfast, straining ahead by focusing on his word. So what he wants us to do or what he's exhorting us to do in James chapter 1 is to not let the trial or the circumstances cause us to change direction. Isaiah 50 says, Jesus set his face as flint to go to Jerusalem, a place that he knew he was going to die. Well, We're to do the same thing. When everything seems like it's going wrong, when you get really bad news, when the enemy is pounding you, when other people are coming against you, Jesus tells us to look up to look up. Now, I know it's hard, but that's what faith is all about. How do we do it? The psalmist says, Your word, O God, is a light unto my feet. So how do we do it? We we get into the word. We do what the word tells us to do. We accept the encouragement from the Lord. We commit ourselves. Jesus, your track record is great, and though I'm fearful right now. I'm going to do what you've asked me to do. When I came to church on Sunday, there was a a woman in the church to pastor on. There's just something that that is so hard and I'm so afraid. I just, I don't know what to do, but I know what God wants me to do. And I said, well, you know what? You might be afraid, but, and she stopped me right there. She goes, I know you're going to say do it afraid. And I said, exactly. I knew you were going to say that, she said. And that's exactly what James is saying. Remain steadfast. Don't stop. Don't turn left. Don't turn right. Stay the course. And once you have remained faithful, what awaits us is a crown of life. And believe me, that moment when we receive those crowns, what a wonderful, wonderful moment that will be. And that moment will last for eternity. Hey, we've got 30 minutes left in our Tuesday show, 340 we love your calls or toll free 877-630-KSLR. This is the word to stand in for life. We'll be back in two minutes.
1: back to the Word to Stand On for Life. We're taking your calls at 340-9585 or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. Now, here's Pastor Ron Arbaugh.
0: Welcome back to the second half of our Tuesday show. The time is just flying by. 340-9585 for your live calls and questions. Here is a question from Juan sent to our email inbox. Um, Pastor Ron, what are your thoughts about the Tennessee shooting? Um, the transgender pastor of the Presbyterian Church was saddened and somewhat angry that the people are focusing on the shooter as a transgender and not focusing on the guns as the problem of the country. More the transgender pastor. Let me stop and say, there's no transgender pastor that is a pastor for, for, for God. No biblical pastor who is transgender, in the same way there is no homosexual, actively homosexual, pastor uh, who is serving the Lord. I want that to be clear. So when you're talking about the Presbyterian Church, there's a very, very liberal element of the Presbyterian Church, uh, and, and sort of anything goes that is not a group of Christians. It doesn't matter what they say. They're not a group of Christians. So let me continue. Moreover, the transgender pastor compared the transgender shooter to Jesus, paraphrasing here, the Jewish people gave up Barabbas for Jesus so that the Jewish people can preserve their image and reputation, and so the gun companies are sacrificing the shooter, so the gun companies can preserve their image and reputation. Uh, Furthermore, the transgender pastor said that America needs not to be focusing on the transgender because Jesus loves everyone. We need to focus on getting rid of guns. What are your thoughts? Um, One, you know, we've talked about this um, a a few times already. So briefly, let me just say the tragedy, the shooting in Tennessee was another tragedy. Um, um, I hope people don't misread my heart here, but we expect more of these tragedies. Uh, Hearts are getting harder and harder and the rebellion against Jesus Christ is getting uh, um, more and more demonic. And the people that are doing these kinds of shootings, um, whether it's this particular person or the people before her, they are inspired, empowered by Satan. This isn't just a matter of mental illness. They are in- inspired by Satan, sometimes often possessed by Satan. And uh, this is just something in these last days that we're going to get used to. Paul says to Timothy in Second in Timothy chapter 3, uh, his most personal of his letters. Timothy marked this in the last days, the time that we live in. There will be perilous times. That's a very striking choice of words. Another translation says terrible times. Well, we're living in those terrible times. So now, the rest of this, I want I don't even con- connect this this so-called pastor's words with anything that has to do with Jesus Christ because this is a man that doesn't know him. Um the transgender um, circumstance that we have in our nation is a tragedy. Young men and young women are being brainwashed. I think the shooter was 28 years old. Um, they're being brainwashed. They, they, they're they not in their own minds. Um, they, they've been won over. There's a lying spirit that's been uh, permitted by God in these last days. And the reason... Um, that, that people are believing w- what is literally, physically, and mentally impossible to believe. Um, the reason people believe it is because God has given us over. He's just removed his hand from us, and that's exactly what's going on. So there's nothing wrong. Right? You know, I said earlier in the week or, or late last week after the shooting happened that guns haven't changed. They've, they've always been designed to to kill people. I mean, that uh, uh, killed people, kill animals, whatever. But, but they, that's their design. That's what they've been used for. Now, technology has, has changed, and certainly we've got a bunch of people that uh, enjoy shooting guns, but guns are not the problem. The problem that our country simply refused to look at, and here's why, remember, our hearts are hardened. The problem is us. The evil lies within us. There's none good, not even one, no one who seeks the Lord, Paul writes. And because of that, and he's quoting David, by the way, in the psalm. So nothing has changed in the 2,000 or so years from, from um, David to, to Paul. Um, um, this is just the world that we live in. And until we look at the problem, what are the problems? One, we kick God out of everything. We can't mention him in publicly. and we do, but we're not supposed to. Um, The the word is being maligned even by so-called Christians like this pastor you're talking about. Uh, We've dismissed God in spite of his many, many blessings in this country. And we've rejected him. And just like God rejected Rome and just like God rejected Greece and like God rejected the Medes and the Persians and just like God rejected the Babylonians, um, when we turn away from God, then there are going to be consequences and we're living in those consequences. So that's the issue here. Don't worry, Juan, about what some so-called pastor has to say. He's misrepresenting Jesus. Hold on to your Bible. One other uh, comment here, and this isn't just for Juan, but this is for everybody. We've got to be selective. And I think this is going to bleed over into the next question that we were just sent as well. Um, We've got to be focused on the Word. You know, it is, uh, as Christians, we need to be informed. We need to know what's going on in the world. But unfortunately, too many of us as Christians are being transformed into political animals instead of being transformed by the renewing of our mind into followers, mature followers of Jesus Christ. And as long as we're focused on the news, we need to turn off the news. It's not news anyway. There is no station, it doesn't matter which side of the political spectrum you're on, there's no station that's giving you objective news. I say that as a journalism major in college. Um, the who, what, when, where, and why era is gone. And now it's all about opinion, it's all about bias, it's all about an agenda. And whether you're on the, the CNB side of the ledger or the Fox News side of the ledger, all of it is bias And it is creeping in and we're being influenced by it to a degree that has never happened in this nation before. The internet is doing it. Facebook is doing it. We've got to keep our mind on things above. As long as we give our mind over to these political issues of the day, we're not going to be prepared to deal with whatever happens. So, Juan, thank you very much for the question. Here is the qu- question, the other question I said it would bleed into. This is from Joe, also from our email inbox. Uh, this is a little confusing to me. So, Joe, bear with me. I'm not sure if you're informed about what is happening to ex-President Trump. I'm pretty informed by it. I mean, all you got it's, it's everywhere. Uh, and then he says this, do you think that the church and the state should be separated? I'm a conservative. However, there are too many people feeling a certain way that Trump will not be able to get reelected due to his felony charges. What's going on with the Christians putting their trust in the political system? System. That's the most important sentence in your email, Joe. That's the most important sentence. Elections, Trump, Biden, it doesn't matter. Uh, If we're putting our trust in a political system, we're going to be disappointed. And here's news for all of you. It doesn't matter if your candidate wins. It is certain that that candidate is not going to be a servant of Jesus Christ. It is certain. And so why would we put our hope in a political system? I've said this every time I get a question about Donald Trump. You know... If you read through the history of the kings, God gave Israel the king they deserved. And we're getting the presidents, the senators, the congressmen, the mayors, the governors, the judges and justices that we deserve. That's the political system, and there's no way that we have any hope in any of that. None of that is going to change. Remember that what is happening to our country is what our country deserves, because we've kicked God out of the United States of America. It's that simple. So here's what we do. We're transformed by the renewing of our mind. It's Romans 12.2. Do not be conformed any longer to the patterns or the schemes of this world, but be ye transformed, and it's in the continuous present tense. So it's be ye continually, being transformed continually by the renewing of our mind. The only place to make our minds new, um, Joe, is, is in the Word of God. Uh, he continues, he says, uh, I thought um, about how 2,000 years ago when Jesus walked into Jerusalem, and the people were disappointed that Jesus was not their political savior. And it seems like this is the kind of situation that's happening today. Not trying to compare Trump to Jesus, because there's a little triumph about Trump. But what does it say about the Christian church? What can the Christian church do to change our mindset so that we're not concerned about what is happening? Joe, let me, that, that last part. I think we should be concerned about what is happening. Um, you know, when, when babies are being murdered, we need to be concerned when lawlessness is running amok in our streets, we need to be concerned. But the answer for that concern, we're going through the prophet Joel in our Wednesday night studies, and and God gives us the answer in chapter one and chapter two. Chapter two, I'm going to be doing tomorrow night. God gives us the answer. Call a sacred assembly, a solemn fast. Get people together in repentance, mourn and grieve, put on sackcloth. So when we see what is happening Joe Christians what we need to do is repent now Christians will say but we're following Jesus I don't know I really don't know if we're following Jesus certainly we bear a lot of responsibility for not being a light I mean how did our nation get so far away from God how did we get to the place that we're in today one day at a time slowly sliding away farther and farther away from the Lord. Our witness has been compromised. We have church leaders who are are publicly falling into sin. We have people getting rich, church leaders, getting rich at the expense of the poor people in their church. We have churches who refuse to proclaim a message about sin because, well, I don't want people to talk about sin. My calling is to make people feel good about themselves, to let them know God loves them. But if if we want them to enjoy the love of God, we've got to teach them how to walk. We're told to walk worthy of the name Christ. We're told to walk worthy of the calling that we have in Christ. In order to do that, we've got to teach Him the Word, and that involves repentance. And the reality is that every single one of us needs to be on our face before the Lord, repenting on behalf of the church. Now, it's easy to say, now, I'm a Bible teacher, and I'm pretty direct. It's easy for me to say, but Lord, it's not me. I'm doing what you call me. But you see, we're part of something so much greater than ourselves. There are people who hate the church now. Some will say, oh, because of the hypocrisy. Some will just say, well, I can worship God on my own. We need to repent of that. Daniel and Isaiah, arguably the two holiest men in our Old Testament, when they repented, they confessed their sins as well as the sins of the people. And that's really what we need to do. We need to confess, oh Lord, what's happened to your church? What's happened to me, Lord? And let God grab a hold of your heart. And Joel chapter 2, tomorrow night, is about restoration. God wants to do that. He wants to do it now, but it begins individually with Christians. Judgment begins at the house of God. Too many of us as Christians are worried about what's going on in the world that we live in. And they're not concerned enough about what's going on in the church of Jesus Christ. You know, the churches, I have a love affair with the church. I love the church so much that sometimes it drives me crazy. When I get calls on this program, um, um, you know, about churches that won't talk about sin or churches that that don't think living together without being married or or homosexuality. thats not a big deal. It's just the world we live in. It breaks my heart. And while I'm pretty straightforward about declaring sin, sin, in this particular case, Lord, look what we've done to you. Much worse than anything Ananias and Sapphira did, and you had them put to death. So we need to focus on God's house first. And then we have some moral authority to call the world on its sin. But remember, judgment begins... At the house of God. Joe, thank you very much for the question. Let's go to Victor on line one. Victor, thank you for calling. You're on the air.
3: Uh, good afternoon, Pastor Ron. I just Hi, had uh, uh, you know, a question about the, the value uh, uh, that you're absolutely right about the political spectrum. About 20 years ago, I briefly uh, wanted to uh, help out with the political uh, on the conservative side and, and all that and and I got a lot of a lot of pushback from a lot of the conservatives they were they were more concerned about taxes than about abortion and all that and even a major um, talk show host or conservative uh, they they said there was no value or basically it was a waste of time putting a lot of emphasis on on abortion so I, I basically quit all that and I just, uh um, realize that what we need to do is just concentrate on on sharing our faith and trying to yep. live a life in front of everybody and and uh but the one question I did have is um what do you think about some of these uh uh major christian uh, authors that are uh, recently came in not coming out with books uh that uh w- that they recommend that we at least get one or two and have them there in the house for when the rapture happens. They'll uh, non-believers will come and they'll find that book and they'll read it and they'll get help for how to navigate the tribulation. So That's uh, all the main question I had, Pastor Ron. Uh, thank and, you, Victor. Uh, I thank you for your program. It's excellent, very informative, very helpful. You give very good answers, uh, uh, extensive answers instead of brief answers. And so I'll go ahead and hang up and I'll listen to your answer on the phone, Pastor Ron. Thank you very
0: much. Thank you, Victor. You know, uh, I, I think our our responsibility, Victor, in these last days is to tell everybody Jesus is coming. And, and here's good news. I have good news and bad news. You know, I, I like to say that. I have good news and bad news. What do you want first? Almost everybody says, give me the bad news first. Well, the bad news is, is if you don't know Jesus, then all these terrible things that are going to happen on this earth are going to happen to you. And you're going to spit eternity separated from God. Now, the good news. He sent his son to die for your sins so that the bad things don't have to happen. You now have a choice. And our responsibility is to live our lives in such light that people can see that there's something different about you and different about me. And as we tell people Jesus is coming, it won't move their heart. I promise you, Victor, that if we leave books about the rapture in our homes, and the rapture happens, they won't even look at those books. Now, when the rapture happens, there's going to be millions and millions of Bibles left around. It's the Word of God that allows the Spirit of God to work on the heart. Believe the Word, and you'll be saved. So, I guess it's good preaching material. I guess it's a a pretty clever way for these celebrity Christians to sell books. Don't buy just one. Buy several and leave them in houses around so when we're raptured, they'll be left behind. I mean, that makes sense to us. But remember, the people that are left behind are going to be saved the same way you were, Victor, the same way I was. And the way we're going to be saved is by the Spirit of God, convicting us of sin and of righteousness, and of judgment. Not evidence, but convicting us of sin. We're sinners of righteousness, that only the righteous can be with God. And of judgment, if we don't choose the righteous path, then we're going to be judged. And when the Holy Spirit's done that, then every single person, before or after the rapture of the church, every single person is going to have to make a choice. And the choice that they make during the Great Tribulation is going to cost them their lives. It's going to cost them their lives. It's almost laughable to me that people would think that leaving a book behind is going to change somebody's mind, when it's going to be so much more costly and so much more difficult to believe in Jesus after the rapture than it is now. If they reject Jesus now, while well, He's calling everybody, while well, He's, He, it's free, and costs nothing. It's laughable to believe that when it costs them everything, they're going to say. Oh, oh! I'm suddenly brave, and I'm suddenly going to follow Jesus. It's not going to happen. People get saved one way, and that's by believing in the Son of God, who is God the Son. And that has to be an act of faith. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 through 10. It has to be an act of faith, and because it's an act of faith, that's the way people are going to be saved. Sometimes we act, and especially if we want to sell some books, we act as though that's going to be um, something I can accommodate. Can't do it that way at all. It's faith. It's the initiative of God. The initiative comes from God. And that's why the Holy Spirit is going to be with people through the very end. Victor, thank you for calling. I appreciate it very, very much. I think maybe we've got time for another question. Here is a question from Anonymous. Um, Pastor Ron, if God didn't want people to be gay, why did he make them that way? Anonymous, this is not an honest question. I'm not suggesting you're not being honest. But but when, when people ask that question, they're not being honest at all. Why would any Christian think that God made people to be gay? I mean, people will say, well, I've been gay my whole life. As far as I can remember, I've been attracted to the same sex. Well, God didn't do that. That's caused by the fall of man. And another thing we need to understand, God didn't make people. He made Adam and he made Eve. By his direct hand, he made those two humans. Everybody else that's ever been born are created by the process through which God multiplied the earth. Men and women having sex. The women get pregnant and babies are born. Be fruitful and multiply. That's the way the earth is populated. God didn't make them. And again, we live in a fallen world. And people that are same-sex attracted, people that feel like, well, I'm in the wrong body, I need to be a boy or I need to be a girl when their gender is clearly otherwise. um, That's just a result of a fallen world. God made us in his image, male and female, made he them. And all we have to do is accept that position in life and God will fulfill us. You know, the people that are pursuing um, um, lifestyles that are an abomination to God, people that are, are, are choosing um, to believe that they're a gender they're not born with, those are people that have rejected God and the emptiness they feel as a result of that rejection. The world says, no, just accept them for who they are and then they won't feel rejected anymore and everything will be fine. These people are still committing suicide. They're mutilating their bodies and we're going to see an enormous fallout 15 years from now. It won't even be 15 years. We're going to see such an enormous fallout from this insanity and we're going to wonder what were we thinking If Jesus tarries, that's exactly what we're going to be thinking. The problem is that it'll be too late then. So people aren't made gay. Acting on your sexual impulse, whatever it may be, is a free will choice that we make. Now, people are same-sex attracted and resist that same-sex attraction to honor God. That's heroic. That's heroic. I'm, I'm willing, they would say, to forfeit the sexual part of my life. And we're made sexual beings. I'm willing to forfeit the sexual part of my life in order to honor God. That's a sacrifice that God will honor abundantly so. And we need to remember that. So Anonymous, the next time somebody says, well, God made me this way. Why would he make me this way if he didn't want me to do it? You can confidently look them in the eye and say, God didn't make you that way. That's a choice you made at some point in your life. And just like you made that choice, you right now, today, have the choice to change everything. Today, you can make the decision to follow Jesus. And if you do, you will love a life more fulfilling, a life that is richer, a life that is more fruitful than you ever imagined. But you come to God on his terms. We don't get him to come to us on our terms. If God would come to us on our turn, our terms, guess who's really God? Not Him. It's us. So, not an honest question. Let people know that they're not being honest. Hey, thanks for tuning in. We've got more questions that have been sent. I'll get to some of those tomorrow. May the Lord bless you and keep you. You've been listening to The Word to Stand On for Life. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas. Lord willing, I'll be back tomorrow at 4 o'clock on AM 630 The Word. We'll see you then.
1: Thanks for spending this time with Calvary Chapel's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The Word to Stand On for Life is on every weekday afternoon at 4, and Pastor Ron invites you to find out more about Calvary Chapel at calvarysa.com.